Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Connor Carrick Podcast. I'm your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. Uh, we are at the end of season one. Thank you for joining me alongside this this process. And I thought today we'd have a, a special sort of episode um, where I reflect on the conversations I've been able to have here in season one, some of the highlights uh, with the different guests. I'm very proud of you know the start. I'm very proud of um, the support we've been able to gather already. It's been a lot of fun. And I know I've learned a lot. And that's kind of what this podcast is about today, to try and uh, look back on some of the highlights and try and consider what lessons I've learned, how I'm implementing them into my life. So let's go ahead and start with you know our first guest, who is uh, Elliot Friedman. Well, first of all, Connor, uh, thanks for having me on. And secondly, I'm glad you're doing this. Um, you, As you mentioned, there is some of the fear of being first, uh, especially in hockey. You know, hockey's got you a different... Say. Yeah, especially <laughs> hockey's got a much different culture. In the NBA, there are players who do this right now, and they wouldn't think second about doing it right now. And to me, that's one of the strengths about the NBA is that uh, players feel very empowered there. And the the whole personality of the sport is different. And I think eventually we will get uh, into uh, a way or a time where the NHL moves towards the NBA just in terms of the personalities of the players have to do a better job of selling the sport. We're getting there and and we will get there. Um, So I'm glad you're doing this. And the reason I, I mentioned that I thought Connor would be the right person to do this is there are certain players in the league who, as I like to explain, they make it easy for the dumb reporters like myself to understand what's going on out there. And Connor was a guy when he played in Toronto, and I know I wasn't the only one, there were other reporters who would go up to him and say, hey, I saw this in your game the other night, explain it to me, and you could explain it. And it's sort of like um, the why Magic Johnson failed as a basketball coach because everything that Magic Johnson did on the court was instinctive. And he was, I mean, elite almost doesn't serve him directly or fairly. But sometimes when you're a player at your level, it comes so instinctively to you that you can't explain it to other people. So I think that your gift for explanation it has to be shared. And that's why I think you should eventually, when your time comes 50 years from now and your career is over, you go into media. So I'm glad you're doing this because you have a gift to be able to explain. So Elliot was important to this podcast because he was a nudge. He was uh, a person to help me go from zero to one and finally making the decision uh, to start this podcast. He was uh, and is an, an important person uh, in Toronto hockey media, and he just helped me feel more comfortable in my ability to own my ability to talk. It's something that if you know me, um, if we're ever at a barbecue together, hanging out, or after a round of golf, like you know, I like to tell stories. You know that I like to talk, um, usually uninterrupted. So that's why I'm looking forward to this podcast with just me as well again today. Um, but Elliot and I, we touched on the responsibility that hockey uh, has to sell our sport and to give a window into the the brilliant people and the brilliant stories that, that our sport has to feature. And I think that, you know, we're quarantine is finally, you know, sort of closing up the NHL. Uh, it's Saturday, July 11th uh, in the morning here. I'm having a great morning, had coffee this morning, walked uh, and grabbed cold brew. I got like my hydrogen water going. Um, So it's been an an awesome morning, but it's right off the back of the NHL has extended the CBA and agreed upon uh, return to play uh, principles and and memorandums in that. We saw this in uh, during the quarantine time. We've seen guys uh, emerge on TikTok. Uh, We've seen, you know, I've tried to do it myself. I've gone a little cold of late and, you know, Lexi and I have to get back to our choreography. I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, Lexi was sending me, uh, Andrew Ladd had, you know, some training uh, videos he was doing on TikTok, whether it's Brennan Gallagher, uh, who's been outrageous on there with him in the, the Chara clip. I think our sport has a lot of great people and and obviously stellar players. Um, and there is this improved effort now, I think, to sell our game. And I think the, the chaos and the stillness of COVID-19, uh, if there's, it's hard to look for positives. It's been a, a 
good size catastrophe worldwide, but if there are some positive coming out of it for the sport of hockey, certainly the uh, stability of the business moving forward, I think will be a positive. And then of course, um, the personality that came out, I think guys were at home hanging out bored and, and, you know, didn't have uh, teammates to give them shit when they walked in the next day. If they had a funny TikTok or, a, or an Insta, uh, an Instagram that was funny or, you know, a little bit off the map for their own personality. Um, I think it's going to be good for our game. And so, you know, with Elliot, I am grateful for the nudge that he gave me initially to start this podcast. Uh, he was a guest I was comfortable with having first because he lives on the air. It's how he makes his money. It's how he feeds his family. So I figured worst case scenario, if I uh, dropped the ball, he'd be able to cover for me. Um, and it was, it was a great time. We had a, he really propped up my eloquence, I guess, and ability to explain. Um, it's been something I've been working on here uh, day in, day out as I, you know, week in, week out, try to record uh, different podcasts with different guests and, you know, try to make sure that I'm highlighting uh, the special uniqueness of each individual story. So Elliot, uh, thank you for our time together. Um, you know, I think uh, certainly some of our behind the scenes conversations in Toronto that were pivotal towards getting uh, the wheels in motion for this podcast. And it's been a lot of fun, uh, something I've uh, gained so much from and, and have deepened a lot of relationships either with the podcast guests or definitely with friends and family who have given me feedback. So Elliot, uh, I want to say thanks and, and you never forget your first. I think when you're an athlete at the highest level, um, it's it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. And it's it's something that you are 24-7, you know, and, and it can become very, um, very much about yourself all the time. It's like, did I sleep enough? I need a nap. Did I eat well enough? Uh, what am I going to do now? Um, did I work hard enough? I'm sore. How do I feel better? Um, it, it's just all about you all the time. And it has to be in many cases. It has to be. Um, so I think, you know, having someone that understands that and sees that as your ability to excel and be the best version of yourself, uh, versus being like, well, geez, I, I wish we could just go out tonight, but you, you need to go to bed early. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. no fun. Right. Like, so I, like everything else, I, I think having someone that really understands, um, what you love and understands your need to be the best version of yourself and, and what that takes. It's, it's not an easy thing, but, um, I think when somebody sees that in you and they see that, that makes you the best version of you, um, they work with it and, and they help you be that. Um, so, you know, that, I think that's how I see it. And, um, you know, I, I realized once I got out of sport, how self-indulged you are in sport <laughs> and, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, especially, again, it keeps coming back to kids, but it's no longer, you know, it's not about me anymore. And it's, uh, for a long time I was able to do those things I needed to do. And, um, and you just have to, to compete at the highest level. There, there's no way around that. And then we move on to our second guest, uh, Jaina Hefford, you know, uh, hockey hall of famer, uh, super special competitor for Team Canada for, you know, two decades, really. And I really took to heart, I was having a hard time, you know, in the beginning of quarantine there, just because I was still embodying a lot of my habits from the season. And there was still some uncertainty that we might come back and play. Uh, so that fear of uh, am I doing everything I need to be and should be doing uh, to be my best was, you know, very present in my mind at that time. And I think with Janet just became clear that that fear as an athlete is your friend. It's not something to wish away or meditate away. It's the, the fear of, um, am I training? Am I doing enough? Am I training hard enough is a great motivator. And it should be welcomed, at least into my life, it was something that, you know, I stopped fighting. It was, I thought, part of the responsibility of having this short window to throw everything I can into my athletic career. And Jana talks a lot about it uh, being a lifestyle. I was talking, I remember right around the time I was recording this podcast with Travis Zajac, uh, who's the ultimate pro, um, one of the greatest hockey nerds that I've ever played with, one of the greatest leaders I've ever played with just day in, day out. Uh, he's been through some tough seasons here the last couple of years in New Jersey, uh, but his professionalism day in, day out is spectacular. And I, I was messaging him the one day because he had sent me a, a clip of him doing these cutbacks we would do before practice in his driveway with rollerblades on. 
And I said, man, it's uh, it's a special thing to watch. And we're going we're gonna to get him on the podcast here in season two. But I said, it's a special thing to watch to see someone who's played over a thousand games currently preparing as if they're trying to play a thousand more. And, you know, I've been around, uh, you know, Patrick Marlowe, whose games played is probably close to that to, you know, I, I, I know it's in the 1600s, I think. Um, and Travis is on page on pace to, you know, really get up there himself. Those are two guys where, you know, they're Travis is approaching 40, Patrick Marlowe's over it and their childlike love for the game and their boundless energy to prepare is uh, a great reason that they are the pros that they are. And it's something that, you know, I've really tried to embody and, and, you know, steal from uh, them as role models. And Jane and I, we talk about it. We talk about the 24 seven nature of being an athlete. And it's something I'd always try to um, bring to kids. I try to explain to them and, and help them understand the round the clock nature that is the responsibility of trying to be your best. And it's something that you see even as, as young pros start to make some money and, and, you know, there's a lot of different interests uh, that can come up, you know, in NHL careers where all of a sudden you've got contacts at country clubs and guys want you to, you know, travel uh, and do things in the summer. You're invited to weddings. It's easy to, um, not in a summer like this, but in, in other summers sometimes where you're traveling and just becoming more busy with other things, it's easy to forget about what's most important. And really what's closest to your heart as an athlete, which is you have one career to, to make the best of it. And Jane, I think uh, another example of someone who given her longevity and given her excellence in the sport of hockey, when you, you know, kind of pull a curtain back and ask her what was so key to your success, uh, she was thinking about all the time, you know, where attention goes, energy flows. I think that's a, you know, that came out in the Chris Kuchis podcast, which we'll get to. Um, you know, which is a Tony uh, Robbins classic. And you can tell Jaina was always considering what have I done to get better? What was good enough about it? What can I improve? Um, and I think it, you know, is when you speak to someone of her caliber, the simplicity yet amazing nature of her process um, came through. And I was super grateful for our time uh, together, I think uh, she did a fantastic job explaining, you know, sort of the the beauty and the dark side of you know being as competitive as she was. You know, with uh, another athlete, you know, that we lost this year, and and uh, Kobe Bryant was very famous for that, right? Where he talked about the mama mentality and and how he danced with this dark desire uh, to be the very best, and how it had you know some sharp edges at times, but uh, it can be a great fuel factor, um, in the development as a pro athlete. So Jaina, thank you for your time. You know, you'll, uh, always be a part of the first season as we are trying to build, uh, this podcast out. I, I, you know, want to again, highlight some of the outstanding athletes and, and work ethics, uh, on display in women's hockey. And, you know, as, as hockey men's hockey has gained some stable footing here, uh, for the next couple of years, again, with the CBA being ratified and, uh, the return to play protocols being in place. Uh, we'll see how, you know, these things all age as, as COVID is still pretty uncertain, but I hope it uh, leverages itself well to aid the women's game as well uh, in due time once uh, the league gets back up and running. I remember I came into Michigan as this highly touted recruit. Um, like I, I won the CJHL player of the year the year before, and I was like, man, this is going to be easy. Like I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take off and I'll score a point a game. And then I got in there and, you know, boy, was I wrong. I had nine points in my first, you know, 40 games. Uh, Red Berenson kind of pulled me into his office after end of the year team meeting after, um, you know, my first year. And he says, you know, Zach, you're doing all the right things. You're working hard. You know, you just need to keep going and keep working and, you know, have a positive attitude. And, and I think that, you know, if you're going to make the NHL, you're going to really have to figure out, you know, how you're going to make the NHL. Like, what are you going to be good at? So how are you going to make the NHL? And that kind of hit me like, man, if I can't, if I can't score goals at the college level, like how am I going to score goals at the next level? Like how, what, what can I do better, you know, that, that, than anybody else? What, what can I work on that, you know, will separate me from, from other people? So first off, thank you to uh, Zach Hyman. He was the first teammate, well, I guess ex-teammate, uh, to volunteer to come on and hockey guys for whatever reason we talked about in the beginning of this uh, podcast can be a little shy but Himes I think 
was an obvious choice for me to want to talk with about his development hockey because I knew he'd had some of this early career adversity. I knew he'd had, you know, some of these difficult and doubtful times during his time at the University of Michigan, but he really repositioned himself well to project out and look at the NHL and think, okay, where can I add value to a team? Where can I make my spe- myself uh, indispensable where the coach just cannot take me out of the lineup? And I think that is an awesome lesson for a lot of young players because they all grow up. They, they want to be goal scorers in the NHL. They want to be superstars and, and, I will never discourage a young player from having those aspirations, but there comes a time uh, where you have to be realistic with yourself and and be able to have that reflective period of your strengths and weaknesses. And for Zach, it you know led to um, you know the leverage that he was able to use uh, coming out of college, you know, with with Florida and ending up in a better fit in Toronto. And he's been you know uh, a rock really in that lineup ever since he arrived. And uh, I love the, the conscious decision he made to separate himself. We talk about this too with the Kevin Rooney uh, podcast. You're going to find, you know, there's a lot of players and we, we have some other ones where, you know, JVR, it's clear. He scores goals. He scored goals at every level uh, and he's continued to do so, you know, into the National Hockey League. Uh, Mitchie Marner, you know, he's a 100-point guy. Uh, there's very few players on the planet that can do what he does. Uh, but when it comes down to, you know, sort of the meatloaf, the middle of your lineup, you've got to find ways. And I'm going through this in my own career where you're trying to find ways to make yourself um, indispensable, someone that the coach absolutely cannot uh, believe that they can win a game without. And Himes has been able to do that. And then, you know, something that wasn't in that highlight video, but I remember well from the Hyman podcast is he sort of uh, has this like anti-squeeze recipe that he shares with us where he has these outside uh, interests outside the sport. And when you're playing 82 games and you're, you're getting hit from behind and you're tired and you're traveling and you're on the road and, you know, your meetings, uh, you're going through your daily meetings and your daily practices, the game of hockey can take a toll, particularly at the professional level, but also at the youth level where kids are now practicing 24-7, 365. But that's, you know, another conversation for another day. But Himes, I think, has this cool balance to his life in a career path where imbalance and pure obsession with your sport is celebrated. And I think that that can serve some people well, you know, in the same breath, we just talked about, you know, uh, Kobe with uh, the Jaina Hefford uh, podcast that seemed to be his thing uh, where he was just deeply, deeply obsessed, but that approach isn't for everybody. And I think Himes is a great example where he was able to build these different legs to his life um, that help him, remove the squeeze out of his game when things aren't going well, where you're coming to the rink, just, you know, trying to grit your teeth and and grit it out the best you can. And I think it helps him with his professional resiliency. And I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes with it, you know, with his gaming company and the charity uh, in years, uh, in years to come. Yeah. I think uh, for for those mental things, again, that stuff in the last couple of years, I think I've started to realize just the, um, the different things that you can do uh, to help that as far as like a routine, because like, again, it's always like you, you get told these things, oh, you got to be mentally strong or you got to do these things or do uh, work on strength or whatever, like do these different things on the ice. And it's like, what does that look like? Like, how do you improve that? So there's different things I've definitely been exposed to over the years and in the, in the last couple of years, I've found just doing some different breathing techniques and stuff like that. That's really kind of helped me kind of focus in and be a little bit more present in the moment as far as stuff before games. And I found also, again, like stuff to help me sleep and and things like that. So I think that's a big thing that a lot of times, uh, again, it seems like just in, in over the years of exploring different things, it seems like something that, uh, again, it's such a basic thing. You think like how many breaths do we take in a day, but it's something that maybe you don't really get taught a ton about. So that's been really cool for me to learn a lot about over the last couple of years. So that brings us to our second hockey guest on this podcast, uh, James Van Riemsdyk, JVR. He's one of the more curious competitors I've ever been around. He has this uh, question of that he asks himself daily of how good can I get? He was, you know, a player that, you know, coming up in the league, he was a high, you know, NHL draft pick. He was able to enter, enter the NHL at a young age, uh, but he still has this very, a boyish dreamlike quality to his day-to-day habits and routines. He tries to take 
abstract, you know, uh, concepts like mental toughness and, and, uh, how to improve recovery and make concrete habits out of them. Um, and it just goes to show how exhaustive he is in trying to find an edge. And, and to, to be honest, most of the NHLers I'm around, most of my teammates that I've been able to play with are this way where they are thinking of every second of how they go through the day and where they can uh, gain just, you know, the slightest of percentage of improvement. And it just, you know, goes to show like JVR is even looking at uh, how he breathes in a day and how it can fuel improved recovery. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see, you know, what we talk about it all the time, what he gets obsessed with next. Uh, you never know, you know, when uh, JVR, JVR and I are texting or he, I see his phone, uh, his number uh, come up on my phone, you know, what in the world he's going to have for me. Maybe he's decided to start juggling on one foot or trying to sleep upside down. Like, I can't wait to see what's next for him. Uh, super grateful for our time together and really is his, his friendship. He's been, uh, I was always this curious and, and this, uh, hungry to, to find an edge. And JVR was one of these people that once I met him, it was like, kind of gave me permission. Like, okay, it's, it's okay to be a hockey nerd like this. Like this is, um, just who I am. And, and he helped me feel more comfortable about, you know, my, uh, routines and, and goals as a professional, uh, as he was someone like me really in the room. The best example I probably have was last year in August at the Pettit Center when I broke the world record for 100 miles in 12 hours. When I got to around like 68, 70 miles, it, my, my, my mind just clicked right away. Oh, this is just one more long run now. And I was no longer thinking about breaking the 100 mile world record or the 12 hour world record or that I was going to run 100 miles plus that day. I was thinking about just doing one more long run, which I had done, you know, eight, nine, 10 of in the weeks leading up to that. So to me, that really kind of normalized a part of the race that could have been a very big, and in the past had been a very big mental hurdle to kind of get over. So I think that that side of this, that just really highlights the mental side of the sport. Uh, you know, it, you, it feels like it's intense and it's really hard on your body at the end, but in reality, the intensity is still very low, sometimes even lower because you're slowing down a bit. But, um, I think if you can really harness that mental strength and learn what's going to work for you to keep you motivated, uh, that's what's going to kind of really get you your best days. After JVR, uh, we had a podcast with the first person I actually had never had a personal relationship with. I had first heard of Zach Bitter uh, when I heard him on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I thought, what an animal this guy is being the 100-mile uh, uh, world record holder. And I was... I'm constantly, you know, just like the last two podcasts, looking for an edge, looking for improved balance in my life uh, somehow, some way. And, and a great source of inspiration for me is sometimes looking across other disciplines, other sports. And with Zach, one of the things that I really wanted to implement and integrate into my life was he does this, he very eloquently put in the, in the video there where he's able to take long journeys or take brutally demanding um, physical feats and chop them up into like digestible, uh, smaller goals. And it's something that I even think of, you know, in training camp where, uh, you know, two or three days will go by, maybe you're tired, uh, you're starting to get worn down after the, you know, increase in intensity. And I'll think, you know, just get through the first game, like just, uh, you can feel tired, but not today. Um, you're, you, that, that day will come, but just wait and wait to feel tired until the first off day. And you're able to merge body and mind where it doesn't really matter who's calling the shots anymore, uh, because you're able to will yourself into feeling the way that you need to feel to perform the way that you want to. And, you know, Zach talks about that, where, how he feeds his own personal fire in moments of doubt, uh, during race time. And uh, he's a beast. We've stayed in contact ever since, which is a super cool, you know, benefit of having a podcast like this and, and having conversations with individuals uh, as unique and, and highly motivated as him. Uh, so, Zach, you know, thanks again for coming on. Uh, what a beast. <laughs> I, still, I still can't believe this was uh, he did. We had filmed the podcast right before his uh, charity run for uh, Fight for the Forgotten, and he did end up. Uh, breaking the 12-hour uh, treadmill uh, world record shortly after this podcast. So I was grateful he was able to carve out an hour uh, of his time to talk together 
uh, in the middle of, you know, what must have been a pretty demanding uh, training uh, cycle. I mean, I, I would just give the advice of don't, don't give up on your dream. Like uh, work hard as, as much as you can, um, you know, make sure when no one's watching, you're still doing the work. I mean, it's not all about fame and, and celebrity. Yes, I guess you could say it's, it's about what you do behind the curtains. It's what you do when no one's really looking, uh, how you do it. Um, you know, I think, uh, growing up as a kid for me, it was a lot of naysayers or doubters. I mean, I remember I got drafted to London. I think I was five, six, 125 pounds or something like that. And you know, you're looking at today's OHL drafts and the average trade's got to be around 5'11 and the weight's got to be around 190. So, um, it was kind of like that, I guess, in my draft too, but I mean, I think the thing is just, you know, if you work like a dog and, you know, the coaches are going to like that, you know, if you don't grow into your size, you know how to, I'd say, play in those small areas, get the puck out of those small areas and make something out of it. I think that's kind of where I, I really grown as I was a really small player. So I had to learn how to dodge players and, and learn how to keep my feet moving to get away from corners or walls to keep the puck and keep my feet going and, and create plays. And, you know, I've kind of grown growing up, obviously, and kind of starting now to uh, hopefully starting now to look like I'm building out a little bit more, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, but um, I think that's just the thing of what's been great for me is that now I'm a little taller. I, I can now, you know, do those battles and, and still keep my feet moving and get off the wall. But I would just say, you know, don't listen to any doubters. It's always going to be doubt. People doubt you regardless of who you are in, in life. And, um, you know, I think the best thing is, is just when you get to prove those doubters wrong and, you know, one day you're going to get to look the same people in the face and, you know, you don't even have to say anything. They just know that they just, they screwed up and that, you know, you can just sit there and just chest out puffy and yeah, you know, turn TSN on, turn TSN on tonight and check the top 10 out. First off, let me say on Mitchie Marner, one of the, one of the players, favorite players in the league. I think that across the board, he is one of the more fun and creative and loving athletes in our game. And I mean, both that as a teammate, he, he's a very loving person and, and cares deeply for his teammates. But he also has this deep love for the sport that is so contagious uh, when you're around him. And he talks about that, you know, in the, in the clip there where he still dreams every day. He still, you know, is that, you know, 14 or 15 year old hockey player where uh, he believes uh, his growth and his best hockey is still ahead of him. And he, he, does have that style of work ethic where he's not totally in your face with it. He does um, not always show his cards, you know, openly uh, with how hard he works to get better as a superstar in this game. Uh, but I think that he has a healthy relationship, as, as you can see, that he will work through the doubt. He does not internalize other people's opinion of him. He does not wear uh, their concerns uh, personally. He has this inner knowing that when the puck drops, he may look meek, uh, but he's got that puffy chest where uh, he's in his arena. He's in his sweet spot. And to share a jersey with Mitch was, you know, a gift. Who knows if we'll get that opportunity again. Um, but he's will always be a close friend for me and someone that I'll watch uh, with admiration as he's able to do what he's able to do uh, in the coming years uh, as a He's still young as an NHL, or believe you know, as, believe it or not, for how much success he's had. Um, but a special part of of a Toronto Maple Leafs team that you know is is positioned to be strong for for time to come. And I think their leadership group with someone like Mitch is in good shape. He uh, truly, I, I can't say it enough, and an outstanding person and an outstanding teammate. Someone that you know from afar. Uh, I enjoy watching and studying uh, just because there's so much to learn uh, for a player as undersized and as creative as he is. Um, and, you know, finally, Mitch blindly said yes to coming on this podcast. Like, you know, I know uh, sometimes when you're playing in a media market as ravenous as Toronto, you can get a little concerned over doing any sort of interview of this length that, you know, you were to say something that would uh, be mistaken or things like that. Uh, but just goes to show how supportive of a, of a friend he is that he was more than excited to to hang out. And I'm glad he uh, he gave up the microphone too because he wanted to keep it for his gaming. And I told him, man, I just, you know, I'll, I'll buy you a different one. I got to keep the, I got to keep the train going uh, for recording. Uh, but Mitchie's super grateful for our time always. And, and hopefully, you know, as things uh, clear up here with quarantine, things like that, we get a chance to, 
hang out up in uh, Toronto if I can take a training trip or something up there. But thanks again, man, for your time. You're the man. So I think, you know, success is beautiful. We, we need to see how far we can go. I think we dishonor ourselves and we dishonor our maker by not seeing how much of our gifts we can capitalize. Having said that, it's, it's a game. At the end, it doesn't come down to how many trophies we have. I think it comes down to what kind of human beings we were and how many people we helped. And if you can connect with your mortality, as depressing as it sounds, it, it's inspiring because then you go, am I going to live my life in such a way designed to have my name on a hospital wing or for an epitaph? Or I'm going to, you know, because now people are talking about legacy a lot. You know, I wrote a book 20, 22 years ago called Who Will Cry When You Die about legacy. I don't care about legacy now. We'll be dead. Who cares about our legacy? We'll be food for worms. I think it's asking ourselves right now in this quiet time, how, at the end, how will I wish I will have lived? That's the sport of the Titans, I think. So following up the Mitchie Marner podcast would have been tough for any guest. So I called on, you know, one of the heavyweights that I look up to in the self-help world, uh, one of the Titans of his industry and Robin Sharma. And what I really took from him was he had this beautiful duality to success. He defined it both as uh, what he could produce as a businessman, what he could uh, produce, you know, safety-wise, uh, personally and, and financially for himself and his family. But it was through the lens of how can he also take great rest along the process? How can he uh, make time and prioritize family time and, and personal enjoyment? He talked about these dual cycles of success at length in our podcast that I was really struggling with at the time uh, early in uh, quarantine with COVID, I was getting a little obsessive with training and things like that. And Robin was this, this breath of fresh air um, where he helped clarify and, and helped me refocus the game that life is. I, I identify with this where I both feel a deep need to meet my potential, to pursue my potential. I want to leave nothing on the table. I would hate to die and, and someday and, and know that I could have done more or impacted people's lives more positively. Uh, but at the same time, you cannot burn too hot. To burn out is to fail. And, uh, you know, Robin just has this reverse engineering way where he is able to consider his mortality and, and consider the fact, he says the quote there, where we'll all be food for worms, which can be uh, morbid, but it also helps intensify the importance of now. For me anyway, it helps me stay present. It helps me realize that this moment isn't forever and it should, our life should not be taken lightly. We all uh, can make a difference in our own life. We all can make a difference in someone else's life. And I think that that responsibility is invigorating, not something to be fearful of or to become smaller in the face of. And Robin is... Uh, a role model for me, someone that has a deep integration of his, his beliefs. He embodies alignment. I know that's a, a sexy word right now in the, in the self-help world, uh, but he has this deep understanding, this integration, this implementation of how he wants to move through the world. And I, I learned so much in our conversation with him. Um, just to witness the magic behind someone who's able to have these and experience these deep, these cycles of deep focus and also playful rest. And I think that uh, if you've not caught the Robin Sharma podcast, go back. He is a gift to listen to. Uh, if you don't like my voice, no problem. Uh, you know, which I'd be shocked because we've made it this far together on the podcast, but go check out any of his books, any of his work. Um, I have so much appreciation for Robin. I also know, you know, someone of his size uh, as, as an author and, and as a businessman to carve out a bunch, uh, a good chunk of his time to sit down together was a huge honor. And, um, you know, I consider him really 
an ally in our in our mission to help people live uh, better lives together. And and I know I was able to you know better do so. I got a ton of text from close friends. Uh, my brothers both texted me after the Robin Sharma podcast. Some of their favorite highlights, things that they wanted to you know bring in their own life. I had a friend of mine, uh, Tommy Abrams, who just graduated business school at the University of Illinois. Uh, he went on his way to text me about how deeply he resonated with this podcast and, and some of the areas of his life that Robin directly addressed and helped him with. And I think that's super special and kind of a, a byproduct I want to speak about on, you know, this particular episode where my relationship with myself has grown in this podcasting process where I've been able to have these um, scheduled periods of reflection, you know, these, these conversations with people that I look up to and have a lot of respect for, uh, but also the relationships of all of my friends and family has continued to develop because they, my relationship with them is a one way, you know, sort of hallway, right? Where it's a, it's an A and B conver- uh, conversation uh, that exists between us and they don't necessarily always have insight to how I go through the world and how I uh, think about you know different topics that maybe aren't a part of our relationship. But now uh, it's allowed for like I guess more nuance in other relationships in my life, and it's been a really cool development of hosting this podcast and and a really fun and, and interesting byproduct. You know, I've been in in NHL hockey games where like you know you you feel like you know, you touch the puck first game and you feel like you're like, okay, I'm going to play good today. You get the puck in the first shift and you don't get it out on the wall. And the next three shifts, you don't even want the puck almost. And it's just like, it's such a defeating feeling. And you're on the bench and you're telling yourself not to think like that and not to feel that. And it's it's so hard to control that. Um, And so, I mean, I think a lot of it just comes with maturity. I think, you know, that's why older guys... Are become more consistent players because you know they're less emotionally attached to the highs and lows of the game, and I think that just in time I've kind of developed that of just that sense of uh, maturity and consistency in my game that you know I know that I'm not as bad as my mistakes, and you know it, it's it's an easy thing thing to say and it's a harder thing to execute, uh, but I think that I've found that this year. Uh, you know, I've had bad shifts and and I was able to bounce back and I was able to take criticism on the bench and know that, you know, I don't suck and know that, yeah. uh, you know, you always, you always laugh around guys in the bench. You always come back. It's like, I suck. You know, you, how many times <laughs> you hear that? It's like, you know, we all yeah, know yeah. that like oh. the guy doesn't suck. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and it's, but, and we also been there. We know that feeling. It's like, I suck right now. Like I can't even like, and so I mean, just that, it's just that maturity of knowing that you're not as bad as your mistakes and, uh, you know, you're not as good as your toe drag. So you just got to find that, find that healthy median of what makes you a good player and, uh, you know, what your limits are out there. So one of my favorite things that came out of the Connor Brown podcast was how you're never as good as your highlight reel, uh, but you're never as bad as your mistakes as a hockey player. Hockey is such a team sport. Um, it can, it can look like, you know, a mistake, but you know, people up in the stands, they may not understand, you know, that that puck was in your feet. It was a poor pass on its way in. So you didn't have the opportunity to get your head up and see your options. And eventually, you know, you make a force play and turn a puck over. This was a lesson. Uh, my first NHL coach, Adam Oates always used to say, he would say, you know, after a good or bad game, go ahead and watch your shifts. Like, were you really that good? Were were you all of a sudden that dynamic or, uh, even, you know, to flip the coin, Look at your mistakes. Look at, you know, the the difficulty, the position you were on the ice. Maybe you had a lack of support. Maybe it was at the end of a shift. Uh, And it wasn't to remove yourself from being responsible for your play. Uh, You always have to answer, you know, to your result. Uh, But you don't have to always necessarily obsess over it. And I think Brownie, um, you know, highlights that. And he's been a player that's been able to do it, you know. So you always want to talk with uh, people who are able to achieve what you're after. And Brownie is a player that, you know, came into the league, uh, scored early, you know, exuded uh, great poise. He was competitive night in, night out. He was a player I'd identify as a very consistent NHLer. He's got great energy, uh, you know, each and every game. He always finds a way, whether it's offensively or on the defensive side, you know, sort of being an agitator and a puck hound. He's someone that adds value to the lineup every night. And even, 
the process that he's had to engage with and how to be more consistent, I think was great insight. And uh, that bounce back ability, I think is so important in life for sure, uh, but definitely in any pro sport. If you want to play pro hockey, there's so many hockey games. Uh, there's 82 games in a year. You're going to play tired. You're going to play sick. You're going to play hurt. You're going to play on back-to-backs. Uh, you're not going to sleep well. You're going to be in the top of the lineup. You're going to be in the bottom, bottom of the lineup. But can you uh, facilitate you know, some grace in your self-talk um, that can create the feeling of poise that you're after? And Brownie, I think, uh, you know, has some great nuggets in that podcast where he shares how he's done and he's on, he, it shows, it shows in his result and his growth, you know, this past season, for example, as an Ottawa Senator, after he moved on from, you know, what he would say, you know, were a couple, you know, mentally demanding years, uh, you know, towards the end there in Toronto. So Brownie, uh, you still suck at Catan. Um, I wish, uh, you could apply some of these principles there, but you know, man, you can't be good at everything. And, and, uh, you know, I hope, uh, you know, as quarantine here, you know, settles up, I'm able to get, get up north and, and bug you for a round of golf, uh, you know, and, and hopefully take some of your money or something like that. But Brownie, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. Um, always love talking life. Always love talking hockey with you, bro. Yeah. And I think when fear is discouraged, like if that's like the worst, uh, you know, if, if people are trying to avoid failure at all costs, that's when you start to lose on creativity and, you know, people having the willingness and the confidence to try new things. Like if you, if you try something and it doesn't work out and you're shamed for it, or you beat yourself up over it because the culture is such that, you know, failure is a bad thing, then you're much less likely to try something new or try something innovative the next time that that opportunity arises. So I think that when we think about failure, I, I would love to see it celebrated, like good for you. You tried something new. You thought of something outside of the box that has not, you know, been adopted common practice. And if this is, you know, for, uh, for the young players, I think this would be so helpful for them to be like, how can we, how can I get around, you know, you know, um, you know, a defensive player or or whatever in a unique and innovative way. Uh, And if you fail, like, so what, you know, good for you for trying. But I think that we are, that's what I would love to see because I think what you'll see there is more creation. You'll see a lot more creativity and you'll see a lot more, uh, yeah, I would say creativity and innovation. That's, that's what I think comes from failure. Up next was our podcast with Dr. Stephanie Estima. And I have to admit, this was one of the podcasts I was personally uh, most nervous for. for. For one, I love her podcast, her podcast better. I listen to it often. Um, and she is just brilliant. She's very well thought out. She has great uh, precision and care with her word choice. And she's just a very thoughtful person. And so in this podcast, we talk about uh, the relationship that most of society has with fear and sort of from a uh, clinical, like, you know, uh, neurological background, um, what the flaws are, particularly in youth sport. You know, uh, Dr. Steph is, is from Toronto, a hockey mad uh, town. You know, I'm, uh, you know, from Chicago. And again, that North American coaching model is oftentimes based on uh, penalizing mistakes. And, you know, so what I think of is uh, I've played internationally against other countries, for example, and with Team USA, we always played a very direct, a very north oriented game, uh, a limit turnovers style of game versus we would play Team Sweden, for example, and they would have this spectacular display of puck possession. They would go, you know, they would pass defenseman to defenseman, the defenseman would climb, pass it back to the other D-man, he would skate, and there was just this this emphasis you could tell culturally on making plays and valuing uh, patience with the puck, poise with the puck, creativity with the puck. And I think that we see that. We see some of the Swedish dominance at the skill positions um, in the National Hockey League. And I think a lot of it, you know, I haven't spent any time over there uh, training, but I would love to, you know, before my career is over to go over uh, and stay with, you know, I've had some Swedish teammates and and stay with either them or uh, join their training sessions because I want to gain some better insight, you know, why they're creating, 
you know, the, the high end talent that, you know, Sweden has for, um, such a long time. And so it's such a shift. It's such an important shift of how can we facilitate flow state and fear is a great killer of flow state. Nothing kills flow state like fear and nothing produces elite performance like flow state. So now that brings us full circle to how are we getting in our own way? And, you know, Dr. Steph, we're, we'll have to have her on uh, the podcast again, because I don't think we were able to, uh, you know, even capture uh, just how brilliant of a, of a speaker and, and, you know, thought leader that she is in, in the hour we had. Um, but I look forward to speaking with her further. She's someone that I look up to. And if you want more of her, you can check out uh, her podcast better, or she has uh, been producing, you know, a lot of content on Instagram as well. Uh, she's someone that, you know, when I need to shift or I need to reposition something in my life or reframe something, um, I'll either call on her directly and, and, you know, text her and ask her her thoughts about, you know, my circumstance or situation, uh, or I'll, you know, more indirectly check out her podcast. So, you know, Dr. Steph, thank you. Um, every hour, you know, every minute that we have to speak is always, uh, an investment. It's not time spent, as you said, in our, in our podcast together. Um, just wanted to say thank you. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still trying to download some of, uh, you know, the genius that came out in that podcast. So, you know, so much, uh, to learn from you. And it's the, and mentality it's, there's, uh, a, the real pandemic in this world, the real virus in this world is the, but people, I want to do this, but this, I want to do this, but this, I want to be a great husband, but I'm a pro hockey player. So I'm always on the road. I want to be, I want to be a great businesswoman, but I'm only 26. It's like when you're, when you're stuck in, butt, when you're addicted to, butt, game over, if you just have the courage to change that to an and from time to time, you'll get more used to it. And it'll become easy for you to see that you can have it all. And that is really, truly my belief. You can have it all. You can have all of it. You can have the business and the great relationship and the great body and be great at finances. You can grow up with really troubling circumstances and be super successful and contribute to this world and give back. And you can do it all. And that's a belief that I believe I learned at a really young age. And again, I don't know if that was my parents or just an, an internal knowing, but I do know that I had the courage to trust and and listen to to what I had in me, what I was being, it was almost like I, I've been channeling these things. And if you listen to them, you know what your body wants, but you have to be willing to receive that message. So a, a little one-liner that I say to myself all the time that might be helpful for listeners is, you are creating the story you will one day tell. You know, Carissa, you're creating the story you will one day tell. Pandemic hits in 10 years when you're on a stage somewhere and you're inspiring a group of 20-somethings that have hit the workforce and then something happens like this again, what are you going to tell them to lead them? Because you can only take people as far as you've been. So I'm always acting in alignment with, with what I know I want to serve the world with. So Carissa was the second badass female thought leader in a row. And I knew going into this one, this would be fire because Carissa has this very contagious energy. She speaks with such a sense of conviction. She is an identifier of excuse making uh, professionally. This is what she does as a national speaker for Tony Robbins. And, you know, one of the things I think that can be intimidating about, um, Carissa, is this thought that you can have it all. And I think it's beautiful because we, I've, I see it in relationships that I have, you know, with family members that we as a uh, society are obsessed with busy. We're obsessed with feeling uh, and explaining to others the, the stresses we're going through day in, day out. And Carissa, you know, through her frameworks and working with Tony and, and you know, sort of downloading a lot of uh, his content and being around some of the most successful people in the world, she has a really strong relationship with organization, with uh, personal conviction, with speaking to herself in a way that will allow her to overcome uh, her shortcomings over the over the course of time. And she, this was one of the podcasts that I got a ton of feedback from uh, in in terms of close friends where. 
uh, something clicked because I have, you know, a lot of close friends where society, you know, they're, they're in their twenties and they're told that they're not supposed to have all the answers or that it's okay to be perennially uh, tired or, you know, just be trying to get through the week to, you know, drink and have fun on the weekends. And Carissa uh, will act as a mirror, you know, for you to see if this is what you really want for yourself because she's a dream doer. And I think that we as society can use more of these examples of people who live with this fire in their belly and will not spend any time uh, wasting time that they could be using to pursue their dream. Carissa, instead of justifying the excuses uh, that may prevent her from achieving what she has set out to achieve in her life, uh, she spends all that time focusing on solution-based thinking and much like, uh, very similar to Robin Sharma. They both have this end result uh, oriented way of thinking that helps them get through whatever present discomfort they're experiencing in their life. You know, Carissa says it where she says, you are creating the story you will one day tell. And that's something I'll use, you know, if I'm in the middle of, uh, of a bad game. And I, I think I had reposted on my Instagram early, uh, earlier this week where I said, you know, adversity is an opportunity to earn respect. And when you're able to think of the end goal that you so desire in mind, you will give yourself permission to go through great uh, present day pain mentally or, or physically, you know, whatever um, you're suffering through at that time. And it's something that you know, has uh, become a superpower of mine. And it's something that I've studied in other people where they're able to exude this resiliency. And Carissa, I'm fired up even after, you know, listening to her speak right there in that clip, like her energy is so, it's very in your face. And, And she's not apologetic about engaging in the process to become, you know, the woman, uh, and business leader and thought leader that she so desires. And Carissa, I think, uh, we'll have to have her on again as she continues to grow in her own personal career. But, um, you know, I know where she lives given we were neighbors growing up, so I'll be able to get a hold of her, but, uh, truly an exceptional individual. And, uh, if you, you know, if, if you're low on energy today and could use a little bit of a boost, I think Carissa's podcast together, uh, might be a great place to start as she uh, is not always so forgiving of whatever excuses you want to make. But I had a, yes. a teammate, um, a girl who was trying out uh, for the, the national team. When I was first trying out for the senior team, um, uh, Marilyn, um, Marilyn Rochon was uh, trying out for the team with me, and she was a master's student at McGill in sports psychology. And she told me that her thesis was all about... Um, <laughs> lying. So the rowers, it was, she was using rowers and, and so there's the, the tests, 10, 10 athletes come in and she says, do, do your best. And they, they, they're honest with them. And those athletes get very close to their personal best. And another 10 athletes come in and they lie to them. Like they take away all of the feedback. And when they think they're going um, fast, she would say, no, you're going slow. Like during the test. And they would always lie to them, like, you know, give them a, a performance that was a little slower than they were going. And that whole group uh, got personal best, like, like blew it out of the ballpark. And then the third group comes in and they lied to them the, the other way. So when they, um, they thought they were going, uh, they're, they're, they thought they were going good. They were going, Oh, you're going great. This is amazing. Like you're like on pace for a world record kind of thing. That whole group slowed down. Right. Wow. Where, where the goal was That's to get as great, to get as great a test as possible. Right. It wasn't to get a certain score. It was to do as well as possible. And what she was able to tell me at that time was that our, our brain will limit us. So that last group didn't think they were capable of being great. And so they're like, they dumbed it down a little bit. So, cause they thought they were, were good. They're so they were going for who they thought they were, was, was good. And the, the other test, the middle group that I talked about, they thought they were good. They didn't think they were bad. And so when they were being told they were bad, they're like, oh my God, I'm at least 
good. And so they pulled it up. And what they did was they actually pushed themselves up to great. And, and so for me, that's one of those mind games where our mind will always try to limit what our body can do. So we, we should at whenever possible, get out of the way. Our next guest, Marty McBean was the first Olympic rower that I'd ever uh, spoken with. And I kind of knew rowing was brutal uh, in terms of the physical toll. I didn't know how graceful it was in speaking with Marnie about some of the training practices um, and just the relationship with your teammates. Uh, such a, a beautiful blended, beautifully blended sport between grace and grit. So what I took from Marnie's quote there in, in my own personal life was I really had to think of my relationship with tough coaching and have I in the past welcomed uh, being pushed in a way that I would be proud of. And when Marty gives us the sort of the example of the three groups of the different rowers and the, whether they're, they're getting positive sort of neutral or truthful feedback, or they're being told that they're not good enough, that it was in fact the group that was being pushed, being told that they were not good enough was the group that scored the highest. It made me think, you know, do I want to be, you know, sort of fat and happy along this process? Do I just want to be pat on the back for everything I'm, I'm doing as a professional? Or do I want to be the best I can be? Am I mentally open to being pushed, being challenged to be a greater player, to train harder, to be more in control um, and, and less accepting of excuses? And that's something that I've really tried to download you know, and, and reconsider, uh, you know, from our conversation with Marty, because I'm not always in control of how I'm being coached. Uh, the, the, the coach's job, particularly in pro hockey, like it's, it's not his or her job uh, to make sure I'm cool with or I have given them permission to coach me the way that they see fit. Um, it's my job as the player to best respond to whatever coaching is being provided. I am only in control of myself. I'm not in control of them. And so with Marnie, you know, I, I kind of made the decision, like, I don't want to need someone to tell me how good I'm doing. I want to know that, you know, personally, I have that conviction and that actually, you know, this challenge that there's, uh, you know, Connor, there's better player here available. Connor, you can be better. Connor, you're not pushing hard enough that there's actually great beauty in that. And, you know, psychologically um, could be unlocking, you know, the best hockey that, I've yet to play, you know, in my career. And, uh, it was, it was a very challenging, um, thought exercise that Marnie presented when she was, uh, you know, quoting that study. It was my junior year of college. Uh, you know, we had a, we had a home and home against BU probably around December, maybe a little before, but anyways, uh, the first night we had them at home and they had a good team that year. They're, they, uh, we ended up playing in the national championship. So I'll just jump to the, I'll set the stage, Not a big but, deal. um, yeah, so we, uh, so we play them a home and home. We play them the first night at home. They got Jack Eichel on their team, Danny O'Regan, Evan Rodriguez, you know, real good team. We had a, we had a real deep team as well too. Um, but they, they come out the first night, they pump us at home five, one, four, one Eichel had probably three, four points. So, you know, we knew we were a little behind them in that, at that point. So uh, we get to the next night. We're in BU. Uh, coach calls my line in and says, hey, listen, like, you guys are the fastest guys that can you know, keep up with these guys, and your job tonight is shut this kid down. Like, I, didn't even, I didn't even think about anything on, on the offensive side of the puck. I'm like, let's just see how this goes. Let's let the other guys uh, take care of uh, the offense. And you know, that night, I hit him probably 10 times. I, he hated me. Like, I was killing him. And, you know, I started to draw attention to myself. Scouts started calling our coach. And, you know, we ended up playing them again in the national championship. And I, I kind of did the same thing. And we ended up winning it. Um, so a couple of years down the road, I heard uh, Ray Shiro, when he, when he called me and signed me, he told me the story that uh, at the draft, uh, they interviewed Jack. And he asked him who the hardest player to play against was and he said uh Kevin Rooney so um that's why they signed me and it was it was pretty cool it was you know one player I played really hard against and you know it ended up helping me down the road 
So that that Jack Eichel story with Kevin Rooney, you know, reminds me, my dad, when I was growing up, he told me every single second that you are ever wearing hockey skates, every time you step onto the ice, you are being evaluated. And you never know when doing things the right way will pay off. And for Runes, you know, we're not talking about, you know, some, you know, small game. Like these were big moments in his college career. Um, but this whole uh, embodiment that Runes has of being an ultimate teammate, right? Like what I hear in that story is uh, he identified how he could create value for his team. It's what he's brought into, into his pro career. How can I, uh, you know, bring value to this team? There was great buy-in there. You know, Ruins is a, is a low-ego guy, uh, a low-ego hockey player in a way that serves him. It allows him to get out of his own way and hear the messages coach is asking of him. Um, and, you know, when he says, I didn't even worry about offense, you know, it put a ring on Ruins' finger. He shut down, you know, probably the best player in college hockey that year and clearly an NHL superstar and Jack Eichel is a national champion. You know, what if Ruins was the guy that, didn't want the assignment. You know, coach, I want to be the guy that scores the winning goal. Uh, Would his team have won the national title or not? I don't know. Um, But I think that, you know, there's great lessons in being an ultimate teammate and and being a team forward thinker uh, isn't always necessarily celebrated in in pro sport. You know, sometimes it can be hard uh, to put personal goals aside uh, for the team, but you know, Runes is a success story and a testament to the importance of of knowing when to do that. And it's it's, I think, what really gave birth to his his pro career. Um, and obviously, I mean, winning a national uh, championship with Providence College has to be, uh, if not the greatest, you know, one, uh, hockey achievement he's had. One, one definitely one of his greatest memories. Um, you know, but he's an awesome teammate, someone that, you know, I loved going to war with every day. He's, you know, UFA uh, this summer. So Runes, um, you know, thanks for, you know, hanging out together. I hope we get a chance again uh, to play together play together uh, next year down the road. Uh, you're an awesome guy. And, and you know, I'm forgetting too to say, you know, Runes talks about how many times he hit Eichel in that game. He also talks about in our podcast when he was uh, coming back against the Rangers off the finger injury. Uh, Runes got in a fight that game. There's something about, there, there's moments in your career where you've got to rise up above what you are. And, and Runes is not the most physically imposing guy, but he's got a will and he's got a determination to win and to, you know, frankly make his teammates and his, and his coaches proud uh, that makes him, you know, such a treasured teammate. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from runes and, and, you know, we've talked about some of these subjects and, and some of these accomplishments of his, you know, in the past over dinner and things like that, but never to this depth. And, you know, that's another reason why I'm so grateful. I got out of my own way and finally answered the call to, you know, start this podcast and have some of these conversations that I thought I know I could benefit from, uh, but also that, you know, you are a listener could, you know, gain a lot of insight, you know, for your own life, uh, from some of these special people that have, you know, been so generous with, uh, with volunteering their time together. Well, and thank you everyone for listening, uh, to season one, please continue to like subscribe, uh, share with family members, share with friends, share with teammates, uh, that you think will, you know, gain something from, uh, this podcast. I also want to announce for season two, we will be, uh, changing our name to the curious competitor podcast. I think that is where this podcast is, has lived already. And it's, uh, it's a lot of what we talk about. Uh, but it's a fuel source that I want to tap into more in my own personal life. And I think it's something I want to draw more uh, wisdom from, you know, our guests as we move forward. And with season two, uh, I have some really outstanding guests that I'm, I'm super excited to share with you. But if you have any uh, thoughts on you know, guests that you'd like to see as our listener, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I, you know, check my DMs pretty often. Uh, you can, you know, hashtag CCPod on uh, Twitter. See, it still works out for CCPod. That's why we kept it. But, uh, you know, thank you again for listening. I have gained so much from this journey. If I can, you know, I've 
really uncovered the power of spending more time with people that I uh, respect and and would like to learn from and and you know personally uh, love and cherish my relationship with them. It's been a great source of inspiration for me, and I hope it has been uh, for you too. And I I can't wait to see what uh, you know we were able to uncover with season two. I'm getting a little you know, gushy here, but uh, we're not taking any time off. It'll come out next week. So, you know, it's not some uh, big, crazy grand finale. And I look forward to doing it uh, together each and every week. Um, But let's do this. Let's keep seeing where we can go. And, And thank you for joining me on my journey to be a more curious competitor.